Good morning. I was uh, reading an article recently. It was, it was a little dated, um, maybe 10 years old or so, and it was this site that had uh, teachers had been sending in excuses they had heard from their students about why they had not turned in their homework. Uh, some of the best things they had heard, either reasons why it wasn't complete or it was late, and uh, they compiled them. I wanted to share some of those with you as we start. Uh, one first grader said this to their teacher, uh, my mom hasn't finished it yet. She will turn it in as soon as it's ready. Um, very honest is that first grader. Uh, one fifth grader uh, told their teacher, uh, my grandmother died again. Uh, now that, that student, I think, believes in a resurrection, but we might need to explain to them a little more on some other things. Uh, one eighth grader said, and this tells you a little, this is a little dated, but this eighth grader said, Justin Bieber was arrested and I was too upset to do the reading. Um, that might be true for an eighth grader, I don't know. Uh, one six-year-old told their teacher, uh, I couldn't do my homework because I was shaving my legs. Yeah, all right. Um, don't know how long that takes for a six-year-old, but that's what they said. Uh, one student said, my dad spilled coffee on my homework and then caught it on fire while trying to dry it in the microwave. <laughs> Is it sad that you can kind of picture some dads doing that, can't you? Uh, and then one student said, I didn't hear you tell us we had homework because I didn't have my glasses on. Um, <laughs> makes sense. And then one more for you. Uh, one student said, I didn't do it because I thought you had a heavy workload already and I didn't want to add to it. That student is going places. That student is smart. Uh, what a play to someone's emotions. Can you imagine the look? And we have many teachers in here, so if one, God bless you. Uh, you deal with that all the time. I don't know if you laugh at some of the things your students say in their face, but I don't know how you don't respond somehow when they say some of the things they do. Uh, but as we think about some great excuses from these students, I, I want you to be a little more serious about it. I want you to think about the look that God might have on his face when he hears some of the excuses we give to him. You know, it's one thing for a sweet, uh, innocent little third grader to say something like, I, you know, I was shaving my legs or whatever. But it's another thing for us as adults when we do it to the God who loves us more than anyone ever could. Um, when we tell him reasons why we can't or we shouldn't or we will or we won't. And I wonder how it makes him... Uh, feel. Uh, this morning, as we talk about what's your excuse, I want to look at a story of a man who had some excuses for why he didn't want to do something, and it almost cost him a wonderful blessing that God provided to him. And thankfully, he comes to his senses and gets rid of the excuse. But I want to look at the story of Naaman. So if you have your Bible or your phone, look at 2 Kings chapter 5 this morning. And we will start reading uh, in verse 1 of, King, uh, of 2 Kings chapter 5 together. Verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but... He was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. 
and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And we'll stop right there. This morning, what I want to do, to just very briefly, is explain the passage, exemplify it, give some examples of other people in Scripture who might apply, and then ultimately apply the passage for you and I and what we may take away from it. But first, let's explain just a little bit of the details in case you, some of them are confusing to you. Nate, you have Naaman. He's the main guy in this story, you might say. Commander of the army for the king of Syria. He was a highly respected soldier. He was a highly respected military leader. And he was seen that way because of his success, because of his victories that he had uh, helped establish for the Syrian army. That's why he's called a mighty man of valor there in the first two verses. Yet he has one problem, as you notice. He is a leper. He has leprosy. Uh, Now, we aren't sure how long he has had uh, leprosy. Leprosy is infectious. It's an infectious disease. It's passed through droplets that come from the nose and the mouth. But it takes prolonged contact to get it. It's not something you get casually. I've read it takes, you know, maybe someone over months needed to catch the disease. And so you read this and we would say it might be that this commander got this leprosy somewhat recently. Because you would think a leper might struggle to be a commander if he had those symptoms throughout his life. But we don't know how long he's had it. We also don't know how serious it is. When we think of leprosy, we think of worst case scenario typically in scripture. But as we studied in Leviticus in class some 
time ago. Leprosy could mean a variety of infectious skin diseases. Uh, we could be talking about eczema in Bible times, for example. But we think of the worst uh, portion of leprosy, don't we? The one where an individual, they experience disfigurement of skin and bones. They, you, they experience the twisting of limbs, the curling of their fingers. There's tumor-like growths forming on the skin. There's a, a loss of pain sensation due to, due to nerve damage. You see kind of the thickening of ears, the flattening or the loss of the tip of the nose. It's a disease that's painful, it's contagious, it's loathsome, and in their day and age, it's incurable. That's why they made these leper-type societies where they would be kind of cast out from the rest of civilization because it was infectious and they couldn't cure it. And so we don't know how long he's had it. and We don't know how serious the case it is, although the fact that he's seeking out someone to perform a miracle says maybe it is something serious. But it's incurable. There's no hope until he hears from one of these girls that his family had taken in as a servant in one of their raids of Israel who talks about a prophet of God, a prophet of Israel that we know as Elisha. And when he hears this message of hope that this prophet could cure him through this channeling of people, he goes to his king and tells him what, what he wants to do or how he wants to go seek being healed. And so the king sends him with a letter and with gifts and with Naaman. And that seems kind of weird to us because why would this king send all of this to another king that it appears they've had conflicts with each other? Now why would you do that? So what we gather from this is maybe they're not in wartime right now. It's not battling hostilities in this moment. It appears they've had these before, but not right now. And so he goes, and you saw the king's reaction, right? Why would you send this person to me? I'm not God. I can't heal this person myself. I, I can't do that. And so he takes it as, clearly you're trying to put me in a position where I cannot do what you would ask of me. You're trying to start a fight. You're trying to bring this conflict back up. Notice, for example, by the, or notice for one second, the king does not make one mention of Elisha the prophet. Doesn't even mention him. We would say he knows him, but he doesn't even think about him in this situation. Maybe that tells you a little bit about the state of Israel in this moment, that their king doesn't even think about the man of God who can do something like this. But Elisha hears word of it, and he says, bring him to me. And there was that one simple message. Naaman comes and he says, go wash in the Jordan how many times? On the seventh day, God rested. Seven often meant perfection. That's just... For, for Jewish uh, people, that, that's what that symbolized. And so he gives him, in our eyes, such a simple way to be healed, doesn't he? I mean, for you and I, if we were a leper or if we had some condition like this and someone said, hey, go wash in this body of water seven times, I think for, the, for most of us we would say, I'll do that. That's, that's not that difficult. That's not asking that much of me. That's not that inconvenient. I, I think that's worth it, wouldn't you say? But... That's not the reaction of Naaman. Naaman's angry. And Naaman gives a bunch of excuses, or we see a bunch of excuses for why he is so angry. You might simply say, Naaman, his healing does not go the way he expects it to go. There's no part of it that goes as he expected. He says, hey, one, you didn't come out and greet me. There wasn't any greeting or some type of ceremony. You didn't wave your arms over me. You didn't touch me. You didn't call upon your God. You didn't say anything special. You didn't do anything like I thought you might happen. You just told me, go wash seven times in the Jordan. Do you see his excuse for that? 
We got better rivers back home. We got nicer water. If you heard this story growing up in, in Bible class and things like that, I was always told how the Jordan is very nasty. How it's dirty water. I, I don't know why, but in my head, I picture the Shawshank Redemption. Have you seen that movie? Where Andy Dufresne frees himself from prison, and there's that moment where he's crawling through like the sewage lines into that water. And the guy says, you know, Andy Dufresne crawled through the foulest smelling water you'd ever seen. Like, and that's for some reason in my head what I think of with the Jordan River. I don't know how dirty it actually was, but clearly he says, you have this nasty, filthy water, and I have rivers back home that are clean, that are clean and pure. Why can't I just wash in those? And so he's angry. And he goes home, still with a problem, still infected, but simply angry. And if it wasn't for the council of one of his servants, he never would have been healed. Because it took one of his servants to say, hey, isn't, isn't that a great message you were given? Aren't you going to do that? I think that's how he would say it today. Like, hey, did he really ask of you that much? Isn't that a wonderful opportunity you've been given? Isn't that a great thing to do? And a, and a great blessing to receive if you'll do it? And those are just some of, maybe some details to point out. But Naaman reminds me of other people in Scripture. Can you think of any that you might say are a little like Naaman in the fact that they make some excuses or justifications for not doing or doing? There's plenty. I, I, I thought of the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler in the New Testament? He goes up to God. He's a believer, it, it appears. He's a man of character. And he says, God, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus would start listing off the commandments to him. You see these Ten Commandments? Do those. And so then the rich young ruler says, hey, I've kept all of these. I've done these. What else am I missing? What am I lacking? Is there anything else I need to do to have this? And Jesus would say, okay, there's one thing you lack. Sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. Do you remember what it says in Scripture about his response to Jesus in that moment? It says he went away sorrowfully. I think about that young man. God, I want eternal life, but I don't want to do that. God, I want to follow you, but I don't want to follow you in that way or all the way. God, I want this, but I don't want it more than I want my possessions. I'm a little reminded of him when I think of Naaman. I'm reminded of Jonah. You know the story of Jonah? We think about the big whale. You know, Jonah really is the one prophet in Scripture you and I don't want to be like. If you're a prophet, you are a spokesperson for God, and you are sent by God. And God says, hey, Jonah, you're going to be a prophet for me? Absolutely. All right, well, go to Nineveh. He goes, okay, on second thought, maybe I don't want to be that. Let's back up. Maybe, can, we, can I go anywhere else? It says he flees. He, he tries to run away from God. What's interesting is in, that, in his time... In their known world, they don't know about a globe like we do. They don't know about land across the sea. He travels to the farthest known place they know at the time. He thinks he's at the end of the world trying to get away from God. And then, well, he realizes God's not as small maybe as he thought. And he goes in the fish. But even after the fish, which is this very raw and real moment when he prays and cries out to God, he's still angry the whole time. You know, he preached only seven words to Nineveh in his own native language. Some of you are thinking, why can't you preach in only seven words? <laughs> seven words. And then 120,000 people respond. And he's not happy. He's not overjoyed. He's not excited. He's angry. 
Because he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't like these people. He has a vendetta against them. He's angry with what they've done to him and his people. And he's just angry. And like the whole time in Jonah's story, you see excuses for his behavior and his conduct. I, I think about Adam. Remember in the beginning when Adam sinned? What did he say? God, it was this woman. Sorry, ladies. It was this woman. And then he gets even more bold. He says, that you gave me. That's an excuse. There's plenty of people like this. There's Moses, reasons not to go. There's Peter, when he's having breakfast with Jesus. And and John's there. And he's saying, hey, you're going to shepherd my sheep. I have plans for you. And... He says, one, you know, you didn't die for me or lay down your life for me then, Peter, but you will one day. And he says, hey, well, what about John? (laughs) Is John going to? See, plenty of people in Scripture have tried to make excuses, and not all of those are the same. But do you ever find yourself, or can you find yourself seeming to be like them? Where God simply asks you to do or not do, but yet I can come up with a bunch of reasons to do the very opposite. When it comes to Naaman, I think if we're, if we're applying this message, his story applies to us in two ways, or a, a few ways, but the main one is this. We need to look at ourselves like Naaman maybe needed to look at himself and say, what excuses am I making that are keeping me from God, from what he says is good, and from the blessings he wants to give as we follow? What excuses do we make? They can sound... Um, there's a variety of ways they can sound. I'll give you a few examples. I, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to give up anything in my life. Or I don't want to give up this that he's asking me to give. I want to be forgiven, but I don't want to repent. I don't want to be baptized. I don't want to confess. I know I need to be more involved in the church, but it's not really a good time right now. I'm I'm busy. I know God says this in His Word, but I don't think it's that important or necessary. I want to serve God, but I don't want to serve God in this opportunity He's provided. I I know there's a service or a worship service later today, but I'd rather fill in the blank. I know I need to prioritize my spiritual... Good morning. I was uh, reading an article recently. It was, it was a little dated, um, maybe 10 years old or so. And it was this site that had uh, teachers had been sending in excuses they had heard from their students about why they had not turned in their homework. Uh, some of the best things they had heard, either reasons why it wasn't complete or it was late. And uh, they compiled them. I wanted to share some of those with you as we start Uh, One first grader said this to their teacher, uh, my mom hasn't finished it yet, she will turn it in as soon as it's ready. Um, Very honest is that first grader. Uh, One fifth grader uh, told their teacher, uh, my grandmother died again. Uh, Now that, that student I think believes in a resurrection, but we might need to explain to them a little more on some other things. Uh, one eighth grader said, and this tells you a little, this is a little dated, but this eighth grader said, Justin Bieber was arrested and I was too upset to do the reading. Um, that might be true for an eighth grader. I don't know. Uh, one six-year-old told their teacher, uh, I couldn't do my homework because I was shaving my legs. <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, 
Don't know how long that takes for a six-year-old, but that's what they said. Uh, One student said, my dad spilled coffee on my homework and then caught it on fire while trying to dry it in the microwave. (laughs) Is it sad that you can kind of picture some dads doing that, can't you? Uh, And then one student said, I didn't hear you tell us we had homework because I didn't have my glasses on. Um, (laughs) Makes sense. And then one more for you. Uh, one student said, I didn't do it because I thought you had a heavy workload already and I didn't want to add to it. (laughs) That student is going places. That student is smart. Uh, What a play to someone's emotions. Can you imagine the look? And we have many teachers in here, so one, God bless you. Uh, You deal with that all the time. I don't know if you laugh at some of the things your students say in their face, but I don't know how you don't respond somehow when they say some of the things they do. Uh, But as we think about some great excuses from these students, I I want you to be a little more serious about it. I want you to think about the look that God might have on his face when he hears some of the excuses we give to him. You know, it's one thing for a sweet, uh, innocent little third grader to say something like, you know, I was shaving my legs or whatever. But it's another thing for us as adults when we do it to the God who loves us more than anyone ever could. When we tell him reasons why we can't or we shouldn't or we will or we won't. And I wonder how it makes him uh, feel. Uh, This morning as we talk about what's your excuse, I want to look at a story of a man who had some excuses for why he didn't want to do something. And it almost cost him a wonderful blessing that God provided to him. And thankfully, he comes to his senses and gets rid of the excuse, but I want to look at the story of Naaman. So if you have your Bible or your phone, look at 2 Kings chapter 5 this morning, and we will start reading uh, in verse 1 of of 2 Kings chapter 5 together. Verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, And in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord... Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, 
and your flesh shall be restored, and you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean.